0: Welcome back to the Essential Films Podcast, the podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made, or the Essential Films. I'm Adolfo Acosta, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Mark Espinosa, and on today's episode, no one can hear us scream as we discuss the movie Alien. But before we get to that, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, I don't know, Adolfo. I, don't
0: know. I feel like I'm having a little bit of indigestion. I know I'm a good sign or not. Well... You know, that does actually play into the uh, into the movie a little bit. That is apparently one of the reasons that uh, indigestion is one of the reasons that uh, that scene got put in. But we'll get to that in a little later, a little bit. Um, how have you been doing since our last show? Uh,
1: well, notwithstanding my current status, uh, I've been doing pretty good. Uh, I've been uh, you know, trying to catch up on some, some flicks. My uh, watch list, my pile of Blu-rays and box sets keeps growing and i don't have time to watch everything it's 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 the poor uh, cinephiles dilemma i'm sure you've had that problem as well
0: exactly (laughs) every time there's a flash sale or a uh 50 off barnes and noble on criterion sale that's that's Um, next
1: week by the way
0: yeah it's next week um or every time i just see any like about a year ago uh maybe it wasn't a year ago maybe it was like Six or seven months ago, I don't remember. Uh, Twilight time that uh, the sure oh if you know I missed them. Yeah. yeah, they were going out of business, or they and they and they were basically they put up like a big sale, like yeah they sure going out did. Of business, and I bought like twenty Blu-rays. You did? Oh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't. I haven't watched a single one of them. So because <laughs> you know, you know how yeah, it is. I got like
1: I got like five of those. I, I got I got definitely picked up bananas. Woody Allen. I picked up uh, the quiet American and there was like two other ones. I, and I can't remember which ones it is, but I, those are definitely two that I picked up. Uh, I haven't watched them
0: yet either. So there yeah. you go. Um, yeah. My, my boutique. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if you, I've talked before how my, my collection is kind of divided into like genres, um, except for the boutique labels, which are to have their own kind of, space and then i just have basically an entire shelf full of just boutique labels you know the criterions the kinos shout factory um the tcm classics the twilight times what else am i missing there's another there's another boutique label i'm missing i can't remember it right now did i say arrow arrow video not, not yet but, but now you're yeah 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 but uh so they're they're taking up quite a bit of a bit of space and i have watched very little of them because I feel like this happens with people who, like, who read a lot of books, too. Like, they buy more books than they read. And it's just kind of the same thing with me. I buy more movies than I watch. Because sometimes I just like, oh, I got to have that one, <laughs> you know.
1: Uh, agreed. Agreed. And then with me, you're going to add uh, Vinegar Syndrome and Severin mm-hmm. Films to my boutique label uh, shelf. So there's that, too. Oh, and Grindhouse Releasing as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly um oh warner archive is another one that's put some good out
1: that's good right out. and then now
0: they're doing the the
1: paramount has their own like thing i
0: don't know if you, yes you saw i noticed that they, paramount's doing their own what is it called paramount something like Param- something. I, uh, it's something it's paramount classics or paramount something yeah whatever yeah yeah they're releasing a couple movies like that like uh a place in the sun which didn't have a blu-ray release yes. before has a blu-ray release now because of that um they released i think some, like, 80s movies, like Flashdance and Ghost and stuff is in there.
1: Yeah, I picked up uh, To catch, uh, catch a Thief.
0: That was oh, yeah. number
1: three. And then Pretty oh, in are shape, they I never got too.
0: a release either. Are they numbering them, too? Yes. Oh, interesting. See, now there's another one I have to start. Come on, that's not fair. It's too much.
1: Yep, I have, like, <laughs> number three and number four, and I don't have the other ones. So, you know, the OCD film collector in me, I got to get them
0: all yeah
1: even if i'm double or triple dipping
0: yeah yeah anyway that's the life of a, a physical media collector um so it's halloween season um even watching any halloween spooky films this month
1: oh i try to i mean i did uh well as far as at home i did watch halloween kills on peacock um We'll talk about that some other time. But uh I don't know if you got you got around to seeing it yet.
0: I haven't gotten to it yet. I will though. I'm gonna try to get to it before the actual thirty first.
1: But I did have a couple of uh outings at Alamo this month for uh, some some spooky films. Uh in fact just a few days ago, actually this week, I uh saw Phantasm for the first time on the big screen at an Alamo. So Boy. that's an interesting film. Um. Yeah, that was man, my that first was time. First time watch for me that one.
0: It's fun, but it's weird.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's it's a it's a nice brisk watch though. It's only like eighty minutes. But yeah, uh, it's
0: real. It's real short.
1: But but it, but it's a it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. The the, the tall man man. <laughs> it's just he's a good villain. Like he's he, super creepy. He is super creepy. Uh, and then uh, last week I actually got around to watching uh possession for the first time.
0: Now that's a weird one.
1: That's a, that's a definitely weird one. And and I have a mini story that goes with it in a second but um yeah, that's that's kind of a tough watch cuz I love how like the the story around like the the horror bits. Like it this is one of those movies that's very hard to like classify like what genre is it in is it like a horror film is it is like a drama. I mean it's a it's all of those things but there's not really like a horror genre dra- drama type of category to put it in so that's why there's still debate as to whether what to really call it but you know I think you, people call it a, a a horror i think people
0: classify it as one yeah
1: but you you know for those who don't know this story revolves like this couple who's basically it's one of the most harrowing like divorce stories that turns into like a batshit crazy horror movie <laughs> about like what an hour into the story and i mean I'm sitting there watching this, and it's like, I can't, it's like, it's it's so, like, you get so pulled into the story, like, there's some really good acting here, Sam Neill, and Isabella Jani are so, so great here, and they really, like, kind of suck you into their drama, and you're just captivated by it, but then what happens, like, an hour into the story, and what starts, <laughs> it just the story just gets weirder and weirder, it becomes like an allegory for this and that, and wow like i was i was absolutely floored by it. i really enjoyed it um i'm you've
0: seen it once though right adolfo yeah i i i own it i own it on blu-ray oh you got the was it
1: the mondo macabro special edition or like what, what
0: version did uh, you get? it's it might be that i don't remember what it it's like a weirdly like funky release it was like uh like it, it's kind of like a a digibook but it, not really like it's really long and i'd have to see if does I can it come it over with the soundtrack no it does not come with the soundtrack oh okay it's not uh i'm walking over to it right now <laughs> uh it is it is the Mondo vision release um there you go uh it does not have the soundtrack Okay, because they had
1: the. I think the original release that was limited to two thousand copies came with the CD soundtrack.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a really nice edition, though. Um, no, but, but you're
1: that. That hold on to that because that's worth a lot of coin right now. Is it really? It, it's out of print. Oh, I'm glad I got
0: it then. Yeah, now I'm pissed because I want it now. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's an interesting movie. It's definitely definitely. You know, it gives me like. Uh, Gives me like Mall Hall and Drive vibes in the sense that yeah, it's kind a of a, like kind of a horror movie, but not really. But it is, and you know what I mean. Like it's, it's got a lot going on, and you don't really know what is going on for a lot of it. But
1: yeah. and not for nothing, it you know kind of going to today's topic of Alien. Like possession is also kind of a slow build because they kind of build the backstory throughout like that first like forty-five minutes to an hour and then that's when the the crazy stuff happens which is kind of like an alien here too like it's a very slow burn
0: until you get to the big action sequences right um so how how so you saw that in, in Alamo with a crowd how did the crowd react to it
1: well i mean there was some there was some instances where like they laughed at some of the dialogue which i get because like sometimes the film takes stuff a little bit too seriously so like when you have like some I forgot what something that Sam Neill said that was like, it just played completely straight, but everybody just laughed at it. And I laughed at it too, because it, it, it it seemed out of place in a way, you know, but then of course the German guy got all the laughs. Like (laughs) that guy Mm -hmm. was was a wacky character, but, um, but, but I mean, it was when it was meant when it was time to be serious, they got serious. Like, especially that infamous scene with, with Isabel in the, in the subway station. Oh yeah. That went on like a little too long, but like there was like complete silence. Just watching that on screen, like she she was amazing there, especially in that scene. But it's just it's a little it's a little hard to watch,
0: right? Um, yeah it's it's a it's an interesting film. Uh, I've been i I've been trying to do the thirty one horror movies or or, uh, or spooky movies for Halloween. I don't think I'm gonna get there. I'm thinking I'm probably by the time the 31st ride rolls around i'll probably be up to like 25 or something i don't know i don't think i'll be able to get there um i've, I've done a lot of like favorites like you know like ghostbusters uh, the thing alien of course because for this rewatch uh did hellraiser poltergeist but then i, I did some um oh night of the living dead um i did some movies that i hadn't seen before a couple um have you ever seen um have you ever seen i saw the devil no, I haven't seen that one. Okay, it's a Korean movie. It's more of a serial killer movie, and it's it's screwed up. It's it uh, <laughs> without giving too much away. It's about a serial killer, and uh, he kills the at the beginning he kills the the, the wife or fiance I can't remember of uh, of like uh the Koreans equivalent of like the FBI. I don't know what, what they call it, but like he's a special agent of some sort. And then this guy basically spends the rest of the movie like hunting him down um right. and, and getting his revenge. But it is grisly. It is a grisly movie about revenge and everything. And it's uh it, it is it is more like Science of the Lamb's horror. Like so it's it, it like it's it's not supernatural or anything. It's it's about like human beings doing horrible things but it's right. really really violent. Uh, and it's really disturbing um what's the other one i saw that kind of stuck with me um uh martyrs have you ever seen martyrs
1: no i haven't seen that one
0: either have you heard of it
1: no i actually haven't
0: uh it's another rough one <laughs> i don't know like <laughs> nobody warned me about it but it's like it's part of the french extreme movement um oh boy. It, it, yeah it's, French. yeah it, it's it's hardcore violent like one of the most violent movies i've ever seen I don't even want to tell you what it's about because it's one of those movies that starts one way and then halfway through kind of like this action. You're like, wait, what is this doing now? Um, <laughs> and, and you're like in a completely different movie all of a sudden. Um, and it's it's so I'm not even going to say what it's about. Um, what And the other first time watch, what was it? Oh, I watched happy death day. That was actually a lot of fun. Have you ever watched happy death day? Now, I've been meaning to watch it, but I haven't gotten around to that one. That one's super fun. Uh, totally worth a watch. Uh, and, you know, good slasher send up, you know, um, you know, fu- it's funny. And it's also like, you know, I mean, it's not too scary. It, it's like, it's like a it's slasher movie scary. Like, you know where the jump scares are going to be and everything, but it's still fun. It's still a lot of fun.
1: Good old Blumhouse.
0: Um, no. Yeah. And uh, of course I have to mention uh, the Muppets haunted mansion on Disney plus. That was, that, was, <laughs> that was good. If you like oh, Muppets, shit. this is like the best Muppets thing they've done since the 2011 movie.
1: <laughs> Dad, what's a Muppet?
0: Well, it's not quite
1: a mop, not quite a puppet, but man. So to answer your question, I don't know.
0: <laughs> that's a great line, by the way. And so and I think and I think you've noticed I've been watching a lot of Treehouse of Horrors.
1: Yes, yes you have. I'm very glad you've been doing that because especially those like first ten or eleven are pretty epic.
0: After that it's eh. But... I'm trying to remember, uh I got up to I think fifteen. I think that's the le- uh The last one I saw, which would have been like what mid 2000s, more or less. Yeah, yeah, that was the last one I watched. I'm trying to remember what what the last one, last stories on it were. Um, uh, no, that, yeah, I can't remember what the last stories were.
1: I couldn't tell you which ones either. It
0: it was, they were starting not to get as good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh... oh, you know what? It was the one where like Lisa was like a Sherlock Holmes kind of character. Okay, and I remember that one. Chief Wiggum was like the like a Jack the Ripper killer or something. I and then there was there was Homer when he got the powers of the Grim Reaper, and he was like killing everybody. It's ringing a bell. Very vague though. Yeah, I think that's around like number fourteen or fifteen. I think that's where I stopped. Gotcha. But also,
1: uh, also this month. I gotta say, a very big treat for me. I don't know if you saw. I went to my first uh, horror movie convention, Monster I Mania. I did see time. that.
0: It looked like a lot of fun.
1: That <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I only got to spend the day there, but I mean, I made the most of it. Of course, you go to any convention, there's the vendors, and then there's the uh, the celebrities there that you get to like, you know, meet, take pictures with them, get autographs, chat with them for a little bit. So, I'm sure as you saw, I met uh the OG Michael Myers, Nick Castle, great man, mm-hmm. very nice guy. Tony Todd, candyman, who's awesome, great guy as well, and one then, the best
0: uh, one of the best voices ever,
1: yes, of course, it's funny. I go up to you know, you know Mr. Todd it is nice to meet you he goes like, nice to meet you too, young man. you can look like got happiness all over your face <laughs> that guy's awesome, but uh. And there was a few who also wanted to meet, like, for example, uh, James Jude Courtney who plays Michael Myers in the 2018 Halloween and then the Halloween Kills. His line was way too long. <laughs> so, unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to meet him, but I'll try to catch him down the road next time. Um, but I, for those who love uh, Joe Bob Briggs, The Last Drive-In, I got to meet the man himself along That's with Darcy. Awesome. They are great human beings. They are awesome. got to chat with them for about, like, what seemed like forever. It was about two or three minutes I got to have a conversation with them, so that was uh that was very cool and uh I found uh vinegar syndrome was there they had a vendor table, so I picked up a couple of blu rays from them uh and overall it was a it was a very fun time but here's where i was uh, here's my little side story about possession so they had a guy there who was um it was a vendor i don't know what what the name of the place was, but basically all he was doing was selling a uh, dvds that were burned from vhs's so all these old <laughs> horror
0: movies i was about to say i was about to say if it's anything like comic book conventions you have legitimate vendors and then you have like some carny vendors there that are doing stuff that are basically bootleg ripoffs and i love the fact that you said this because i was about to ask did they have someone selling like bootleg stuff and it sounds like they did
1: but it, but it was literally like walking into like a video store in like the eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Like you have like all these shelves of all these obscure horror movies, and it's literally just VHS burned onto DVD <laughs> horror movies. That's fantastic. And, and not only that, because you and I are wrestling fans, he had all the old Coliseum videos on there too. Oh, that's awesome. The old Super Tapes they had <laughs> the best of all. Burned Hogan. onto DVD and stuff. That's right. That's awesome. He had the the best of WrestleMania, even though WrestleMania was only, like, five years old at the time. (laughs) He had a best of WrestleMania Coliseum video, I guess. Um, And then, of course, I found the American 80-minute cut of possession on there. Nice. The exploitation cut. So I ended up picking that up because, uh, of course, I had to— I mean, it was the only copy of possession I can get that wasn't (laughs) worth, like, 200 bucks at this point. So— and of course, the American cut, which was released to the grindhouses and all that, took out all of the backstory of the divorce, and it's they made it into a body horror film. So I'm like, okay, I got to, I got to catch this. This is history right here. So I picked that up. I picked up a movie called 2020 Texas Warriors by our friend Joe Damato. So that, <laughs> I can't wait to check that out. And then, of course, cause wrestling fan, I picked up the uh, Coliseum Video version of King of the Ring 1993. So oh, nice! I'm definitely gonna check that out. Nice. So,
0: overall, it was a good time. You know, it, 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 though I love those bootleg guys. Um, they're just they're the they're the, the heart and soul of any like convention. Um, uh, the first time I ever saw Pulp Fiction was from from a bootleg tape that one of those yeah. guys was selling. You told he the was, story. Yep. Yeah, the, it was the laser. The, it was the Criterion Laserdisc copied over to VHS. <laughs> um, and for whatever reason, it had Korean subtitles. <laughs> um, Clerks, I also watched like that. But in the Clerks one, what was cool was not only did they copy the Laserdisc over, they copied uh, all the special features so that whenever you played the tape, after the movie ended, it played all the special features in a row. Nice. Uh, cool. Oh, there's another one I'm sure remember what the other one was that was like that oh Army of darkness the first time I watched army of darkness is one of on one of those bootleg tapes where again it took the laser disc uh played the movie, and then at the after the after it ended it played the alternate ending that everyone I'm sure has seen now of Army of darkness where uh right he, he wakes up in a po- post apocalyptic you know landscape instead of an s mart um, and that was like a whole new thing. So, uh, I love those, those tapes, man. I love those, those, those vendors. Cause they're, they're doing the Lord's work. They're preserving stuff that isn't available in newer formats, you know? And to me, I always feel like, yeah, it's technically illegal. Right. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but if the, if the copyright holders are not producing that content, on that format, then that's their own fault for not, you know, capitalizing (laughs) on that
2: one. Couldn't agree with you more there.
0: WWE could release those Coliseum videos on DVD if they wanted to, but they don't.
1: And not for nothing, like, like I said, you need to take care of those like WrestleMania tapes that you have that, that box set, because like, one of the reasons why I bought this King of the Ring show was mainly be to hear the unaltered entrance themes that now keep getting edited off all on Peacock or on the network or wherever you're watching all this stuff now because, like, whatever copyright claims now or, you know, music licenses or whatever. But these old tapes have the
0: music intact. So... It, it's, it's funny you mention that because it's funny that we're even having this conversation right now because about... Uh, I just got... A package from eBay that I bought a little uh, that I bit I bought a little bit ago. I just got it in today, and it is a VHS to DVD recorder. <laughs> and I <Nice>. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually going to take some of those uh, WrestleManias and put them onto DVD um, because if you because the, when they released the WrestleManias on DVD, the old ones they chopped out all the music like right. the Demolition song, the Hillbilly Jim song, um, like all the the pop songs that they use at the beginning. Uh, of of the shows and stuff. And like, you know, Hogan came out to Eye of the Tiger. That's gone. You know, uh, I'm sure uh, I think uh, the U.S. Uh, Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda came out to Born in the USA. That's gone. So like it replaced. So so the old the old uh, Coliseum videotapes has that stuff in it. So I'm going to, you know, put that on DVD for like uh, for uh What's the word for posterity, I guess. And you know um, what's
1: the worst part about some of those like edits? Not only do they edit like the the music and replace it with some generic crap, like for example, like Ricky Ricky Steamboat's WrestleMania three entrance, like his theme is replaced, right? Yeah. Not yeah. only do they do that, right? They have to re-record Howard Finkel's introduction so it sounds like he's recording it in a studio instead of yeah, announcing it, it's, it in
0: front of a stadium yeah it sounds awful it's like it, it sounds horrible of, instead of like introducing it sounds like and introducing at 220 pounds for a <laughs> steamboat <laughs> it's, like, it's like we know we know what you did here guys this is awful um it's terrible it's so bad but I, i'm i'm glad i have those now because
1: and especially you know. now with WrestleMania six, is the only way you're gonna be able to see the Roddy Piper match because you can't see it on
0: Peacock no more. <laughs> well, here's the thing about that match. <laughs> like, I get why they took it out. Now I'm a fa- I'm I'm a believer, in you shouldn't edit edit things out of. Uh, you shouldn't edit the original artwork. Um, uh, uh, you shouldn't censored, I should say. Um, that being said, like that match sucks. <laughs> that- <laughs> Like, you don't need, like, I'm never gonna watch that again. Like, it doesn't matter to me that it's edited out, but at the same time, I do agree that it should not be edited out, right? Um, but yeah, so, uh, uh, I and the, you know, plus, I have a V, it'll give me a VCR again because I haven't had a VCR in a while, right? I could watch the the uh, those mid 90s releases, uh, Star Wars releases, you know, that uh, that oh. came out. I still have those, so anyway.
1: <laughs> oh, speaking of VHS, also, so what Joe picked up, he picked up a VHS copy of Maniac Cop from one of the vendors nice. there, and uh, he had it signed by Joe Bob and Darcy, so he gave that to them to sign, which is funny because I think they showed Maniac Cop on one of their episodes last season. They did a uh, part one and part two as their episode, so
0: <laughs> that was so it was a fun time, you know. it, it It's funny, but it is vhs is kind of making a little comeback like, like vinyl like yeah not like in the sense that they're producing vhs's but like people are going back and buying vhs's because like there's a nostalgia for that market like now and, and right and um and there are certain things like you know i've the example i always like to give is like texas chainsaw massacre where if you see it on blu-ray it looks too pretty, you know, mm-hmm. we mentioned that, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a movie that kind of needs to look grimy and dirty. And VHS is kind of the perfect, you know, the perfect medium for that. Um, so like, I, yeah, I can see that making a comeback now because uh, collectors are buying more VHSs. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'll dip into that. Like it did with Blu-rays, but we'll see. <laughs> or not with Blu-rays with laser discs. Yeah. All right. Um, so that's kind of, well, our- that was fun. Yeah, that yeah. was fun with the walk down memory lane and and the uh, and uh, your convention trips. But let's let's we're here to talk about Alien. This is going to be our Halloween episode. Um, so I'm going to ask the question I always ask: How did you first experience Alien?
1: So I remember, oof, this was a long time ago. Now I'm not going to count this as my first time. I'm going to tell you why because I was too young to really appreciate it. I must have been like. Pfft, 10 years, maybe eight to 10 years old. I don't remember exactly what age, but this was on TV. And I don't remember if it was like cable, maybe HBO, or if it was like maybe they rented a tape. But I was at a cousin's house, and everyone, oh, and of course, you know, with Spanish families, like they all got a, when we have one of our gatherings, like, oh, vamos a ver esta película. Oh, the, <laughs> so. It becomes like the after dinner ritual where everybody just gathers around the TV and we just watch a movie, right? So they rented, they must have rented Alien or it was on TV. I don't remember what it was. But of course, eight to 10 years old, I'm not really watching the movie. I'm kind of like running around with my other cousins, you know? And so I remember bits and pieces of it then. But then it's funny because later on, I never really had the will to go back to it until, again, I went to college, and I started gaining my cinephile creds. So, when I finally uh, saw the Alien quadrilogy Blu-ray set on sale, this is like I think in 2012. It was on sale on Amazon for about 25 bucks. You got all four movies. I don't know if you have that set, but yeah, that's, that's a pretty good bargain. Again. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm finally I can I can own these movies, and uh, I can I can watch this. So. I went and picked it up, came in, slapped an alien, and I don't want to say I was blown away by it, but I had a great time with it. Maybe I was still again, maybe not appreciating it as much as I should, but I, I liked I liked the movie. I liked the uh the whole atmosphere around the alien. And it was basically like it was basically a an a slasher film in outer space. That was my whole my my impression of it. But it wasn't until a few years ago that I saw it in Alamo and I really I was like, okay, I'm I'm in a theater with people. Let me really watch this and let me see what all the fuss is about. Because again, I liked Alien, but it was like, eh, I mean, it's a fun movie, but I didn't really think much of it. But I really sat and watched it a couple years ago in Alamo. And that's where I think my appreciation for Alien really uh really took hold. Because like I kind of mentioned earlier when I when I was mentioning possession. It really is a slow burn. It's deliberate by Ridley Scott. And we're going to talk about that later on, you know, throughout the movie when we go through the film. But it's one of those things where, like, they take their time. Like, they build, Okay, you know, they build the setting. This is the ship. This is the crew. You know, why are they coming out of stasis? Oh, they get a signal. Why? Is the signal good? Is the signal bad? And then between that, between them landing on the planet, between Kane becoming the, the poor host to the to the face hugger and then the chest burster And then that's when, like, the movie takes off. But I really appreciated how much of a slow burn it was to get to that point because then once, after Kane's death, that's when basically all bets are off. And that's when the movie really finds its footing. And I was able to really just kind of take that all in and appreciate the direction that, you know, Ridley Scott took it in. And the deliberate choice to have it go with that pace, and just coming out of that screening, I just, you know, grew an even bigger appreciation for Alien and for Aliens. You know, I love both those movies. Let's not talk about the other ones right now, but at least those first two are are pretty much masterpieces in my opinion. And I mean, this 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 one really really started it all, and I. It wasn't until I got to that theatrical screen and seeing it with the crowd and how the crowd reacted to it that I really just kind of took in just how great of a movie this is.
0: Yeah, it's interesting um, that you said that because I I, well, first of all, if you would have watched Alien if you would have actually sat down and watched it when you were eight or nine years old, you probably would have been terrified. Um, but uh, I had a similar experience where I, I, I remember it being on TV but my first introduction was actually aliens I had. And I remember seeing bits and pieces of that before I saw alien, like a little bit later. And I think I saw uh, like, I just remember like it being on TV, like, my dad watching it or my brother watching it or something and was on HBO or, or one of those kind of channels um and watching aliens and then just seeing like one of the aliens just freaked me out so I just didn't watch it again. Um and didn't keep watching it back then. And so then I probably was like a teenager whenever like I actually sat down and watched the the first film. I'd probably say I was 13 or 14. And yeah, like I, I remember just you know at that age, kind of like you, I was like, okay, that was fun. That was cool. I liked it. But then like upon revisiting it like uh, older I'd like appreciate it more and more to the point like I've seen this film a lot like this is one of those movies like I watch almost every year around Halloween right and um, it, it's it, it is like it ranks in probably one of my top five horror movies ever and um, I will every time I watch it I always like come out of it like appreciating it a little bit more but um, yeah I, I I love this film and uh, it, it for all the reasons you mentioned and, and a lot more, but yeah, this is this is one of the greats. Of course. Um, so let's get into some of the statistics here. Alien was directed by Ridley Scott uh, with a screenplay by Dan O'Bannon and a story by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shush, Shussett, Uh produced by Gordon Carroll, David Geiler, and Walter Hill starring Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafit Koto. Um, was cinematography by Derek VanLint and music by Jerry Goldsmith. It was distributed by 20th Century Fox, and it was released uh, on May 25th, 1979. Um, So I got a lot of notes on this movie. Um, I'm trying to see where we could start, because uh, some of it ties into the actual plot and some of it doesn't. But um, why don't we just start with, uh, with the fact that Let's, let's talk about the alien first the alien itself a very um iconic look very iconic design very scary looking maybe right. not so much now that we we're accustomed to it but like when you first see it if you've never seen it before and you first see it it's a really shocking like looking it looks like an alien it looks very uh not of this world uh and it was designed by a swiss artist named hr geiger uh who you know went on to fame after this film um and uh it was portrayed I- I by a, a very tall um uh tall slender nigerian uh, <laughs> uh design student named uh, bolaji Badejo, i think it's how you say it um and he was apparently cast because it made the alien look unnaturally tall. And since most people don't come up, come across six foot 10 people, it made it look like something otherworldly. Um, but yeah, I, I, what what do you think of the like classic alien design by Geiger?
1: It's uh pretty scary. I mean, I remember, you know, when I first sat down to really watch it, like I was just, I don't want to say I was terrified by it. At, at the time I was already in college but I was like creeped out by it for sure. I mean, it was just, I mean, just from, I mean, again, we'll go through it. As we'll talk about the movie, but from the initial, like the, even just the face hugger itself is, is creepy. And then when you get to the full, the full grown alien, like you're already like shit in your pants at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a weird, it, it's a weird design. Um, and it's interesting because, like I said, it comes from H.R. Geiger, uh, and if we want to talk about weird, what's interesting about the how this movie came together is uh, Dan O'Bannon, uh, who was uh, the screenwriter of this film, one of the screenwriters of this film, uh, worked with John Carpenter a few years earlier on a movie called Dark Star, which I'm not sure if you've ever seen, um, but it's a really wacky science fiction movie um and it was done on a very 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 low budget and the alien in that film is no joke a beach ball with legs um yeah. like literally they used a the beach ball <laughs> um and uh he well it was like you know he was satisfied enough with the film he wanted to make uh he always really wanted to make like a a, a more serious adaptation of that kind of concept um and he was kind of always kind of working on it, but he went to work for a little bit, a few years later to work on, uh, on speaking of which is very timely because the the film just came out in theaters. Uh, Dune, Alexand- Alejandro Yodorowski was doing his yes. adaptation of Dune at the time, and if for, for well, side note, if you've never seen the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune, you have to see it it's a it's fantastic especially if you watch the the current the current film that's out now or the uh david lynch version w- watch jodorowski's doing he was the first guy that tried to attempt adapting this novel and um it, it, back in the 70s and he if you know anything about jodorowski he is a very eccentric filmmaker who takes a lot of LSD and uh he was going to bring that sensibility to To um to his adaptation of Dune, if you've ever seen El Topo or The Holy Mountain, I mean that that's what he was going to do to Dune, and Obannon was working on that, and that's where he met H.R. Geiger, and uh, so it all comes full circle. Then he brought H.R. Geiger to him to the production of of uh, Alien.
1: That's right. I mean Alejandro
0: Jodorowsky, bro. I have I have the
1: Arrow set that came out with all his like El Topo, Holy Mountain, and then I just got Santa Sangre in four K from Severin. So nice. I'm all in on Jodorowsky.
0: Yeah, again, Jodorowsky's Dune, fantastic documentary, just to see all the crazy things that he was going to do with that movie. Um, I think he was going to pay, like, Salvador Dali a million dollars a day to be in, like, a couple minutes of the film. Crazy stuff.
1: (laughs) Crazy. Yeah, and I have the Blu-ray of the documentary, too. It is fascinating.
0: It's so good. It's It's so good. Especially, Especially, I would watch, if you've never, so if you've never seen the movie dune or read the book it's it'd be i think it it, it would be more rewarding to watch one of either the david lynch version or the new version and then go back and watch jodorowsky's so you have some context of the stuff he was trying to do right but even if you haven't seen it it's still fun it's um, so wacky but yeah it's 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 a it's a great documentary anyway back to alien so uh that's where he met geiger and brought, brought him on board to do the design for um for uh alien and uh, the weird aesthetic that he was gonna bring to do and is certainly at play here with the the face huggers and the alien costume itself. Um and I believe what he was mostly responsible for was not only the creature design, I believe he was also uh responsible for the spaceship where the creature landed, but he was not responsible for the actual uh sorry, where the not where the creature landed, where the where they find the alien eggs. But right. he was not responsible for the Nostromo design. Oh okay interesting. Cuz if you I mean, if you look at them they're completely different design. One is very kind of industrial and 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 like pretty you know standard sci-fi stuff and the other one is very alien and otherworldly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um so I I found that to be uh a pretty interesting uh pretty interesting uh fact. Um so whenever they were working on the on the film on the, writing the film one of the, this is kind of common knowledge, but the original title of the film was called Star Beast. Star Beast, uh, yep. Uh, which is one of the most terrible names I've ever heard. Oh,
1: it, it, it sounds like like a suit came
0: up with that. So there you go. It, it really does. And the thing is, is that when they were initially trying to sell the film, they really wanted it to be taken seriously and not like a low budget, like, um, like a low budget uh, B movie. Because you gotta, you gotta remember, like at this point in time. This, like I think the time they were shopping it around was just about when Star Wars was about to hit. So mm, it wasn't yeah. – <laughs> sci-fi wasn't quite taken as seriously yet. So sci-fi was like B-movies and stuff. It wasn't, like, it wasn't stuff to be taken seriously with huge budgets. So it's funny because Star Beast certainly gives a B-movie vibe, right? Yeah, so does. I'm glad they changed it to Alien.
1: Oh, me too.
0: <laughs> but then again, technically,
1: but not even just—just just think about it for a minute. Nineteen seventy-six, nineteen seventy-seven. You hear Star Wars, you think that's a B movie too. Like you yeah, go totally into that is. thing. Oh, it's totally a B movie. Absolutely. But, you know, coming out of the release of Star Wars, oh, science fiction is
0: the it thing now. We want to finance science fiction. <laughs> Exactly, um, and and that is essentially what. And it's and it's funny because it came from Twentieth Century Fox, the same uh, company that released Star Wars. Right. Um, and when you think about it now, because it's a Twentieth Century Fox film, Alien is now a Disney movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I want, does that make does that make Ripley a Disney princess? That's what I want to know.
1: I I think by the rules, that it, it does. I think technically it does.
0: Um. So um, one of the other things that uh, I wanted to mention is uh, that uh, O'Bannon and Shussett both said that uh, they had, uh, I got a great quote from, uh, I think it's Shussett who says, "Uh, I didn't steal alien from anybody. I stole it from everybody. He he used the, uh, (laughs) he cited uh, influences from the thing from another world, which um, forbidden planet, and then other people have pointed to a, a sequence in the movie Planet of the Vampires that has also a, they where apparently they find a, a large giant with a skeleton on an alien planet. I've never seen it, so I don't know. Um, but it's, it, apparently people make that connection as well. Um, what else? Uh, and he cites some other like sci-fi books and stuff that I'm not too familiar with. Um, but they ended up pitching this film as uh, Jaws in Space, which I think is a pretty accurate description. It makes sense um they eventually got picked up by a production company uh called brandywine um and they helped kind of uh what's the word i'm looking for like uh kind of bring in the deal with 20th century fox um but uh they tried to mess with the script apparently and they uh they were messing yeah they they made a lot of changes and according to Shuset uh they weren't good at making it better or in fact not making it or not making it even worse (laughs) (laughs) um although they did say they added one thing uh o'bannon so o'bannon felt felt that the ash subplot which we'll get to when we go over the the film was unnecessary but just later described it as one of the best things in the movie so interesting that that thing survived but nothing else
1: Oh, I'm and I'm glad it did. That's actually, uh, I'm glad that that's, that's a part of the movie. That's a good and, idea.
0: And it also, if that right there kind of builds a mythology of the entire series, because if it's because Ash was the, as was as an Android sent by the company, uh, to investigate the, you know, the alien, the company plays so much bigger roles in the subsequent films exactly
1: and then without ash we don't get a uh, our boy michael fassbender as
0: david so <laughs> that's true who was probably uh, the best
1: part of any of those movies
0: but um they picked up uh whenever they were shopping around uh uh for directors um they kind of passed on a lot of them because they just felt that they were just going to make it a b movie until they came up until they found ridley scott who had just uh, done a film called the Duelist, a film that i've heard of but i've never seen so i can't really talk about that, that much but i've heard it's good um and uh he basically got the job because he sent them a bunch of storyboards uh and basically detailing that it's not gonna be like a standard b movie And he basically described the film as Texas Chainsaw Massacre of science fiction. And that's basically what caught him the job. (laughs) Nice. Um, And then trying to look at my other pre-production notes here. um, I think all this other stuff I could probably go into when we're talking about the plot. Or is there any other stuff that you want to discuss? Uh, Not particularly. Okay, cool. Well, well, let's get into the into the meat of the film. Um, All right. So like most of these, uh, like we've been doing recently, I'm just going to kind of go over the highlights, not necessarily scene for scene for scene, but just the highlights of the film, which admittedly, there are a lot of. Um, Let's let's talk about the crew first. Uh, You have Dallas, who is the captain played by Tom Skerritt. Uh, you have Ripley, the uh, Warrant Officer. I had to look up some of these roles because I wasn't sure. The Warrant Officer, which is apparently the second in command, uh, played by Sigourney Weaver. Lambert, the Navigator, played by Cartwright. Brett, the Technician, played by uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, John Hurt was the Executive Officer, uh, and he was Kane. Ash is the Science Officer, was the Ian Holm. Parker was the Codo uh, and he was the Chief Engineer um and some of the stuff here that i think is interesting about the casting um first of all ripley uh sorry ripley was sigourney weaver's first major role uh Mm -hmm. she had been uh, like a broadway actress and maybe done a movie or two but she was basically an unknown um and she got the part um what i think is interesting is that they wrote the script specifically as a unisex crew uh, basically not differentiating between men and women so that way they could audition anybody for any part uh, kind of smart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that they could get like the best actor for each role. Um, So Ripley wasn't necessarily supposed to be a woman, but uh, it ended up being Sigourney Weaver as the, in the audition. Um, And obviously this was a breakthrough performance for her as she went on to become a huge movie star.
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, possibly a slight correction. I think Warren officer is the third in command because i think kane oh. outranks
0: her that's what you're she right. said
1: in that scene like you know when dallas and kane are off the ship
0: you're I'm right charge you're right i'm sorry you were absolutely right um and i was thinking of that scene because i've heard taking command i forgot that kane was above her you're right, right. um lambert played by uh veronica cartwright what i think is interesting in this was that she was initially cast as ripley um and went to set assuming she was going to be ripley and then they got she got there and found out she's playing lambert which she did not like because lambert is let's face it the crying whiny one right (laughs) (laughs) and she did not want to be like the damsel in distress but uh they they eventually sold her on it by saying oh you're the audience for this you're the you're the audience stand-in you're the one that feels all the fear for the audience and eventually she she obviously she did the film but yeah she is the she is basically the quote unquote annoying character that's just screaming the whole time
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true
0: um uh harry dean stanton uh par- apparently the first thing he said when he went into the audition uh, was that was, I don't like sci-fi and I don't like monster movies. Um, <laughs> and he got the job. So there <laughs> that worked. Um, Ian Holm was the uh, the most veteran actor on the se- on the set. Uh, he was he had by that point done about 20, 20 movies and he was a veteran character actor. Um, Yafet koto got the part because of Live and Let Die. He was the villain uh in, in that film if you've ever seen live and let die and i think that's of the worst all the cast kind of notes i have here
1: yeah by the way everybody live and let die great movie the first bond movie with roger moore as, as james bond it's a fun movie definitely check that out if you're into james bond or if you're just into spy movies it's it's, it's a fun ride Absolutely, and and Doctor Kananga, bro, <laughs> what a what a wacky guy that he is. He, he he plays it, he hams it up to the
0: max, but it's great. You know? Totally hams it up. I mean, that's a weird. It's a weird Bond movie because it's like has voodoo in it, and like uh, all sorts of things. There's a guy that looks like Papa Shango. Uh, that's right. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a it's a fun movie. Um, so let's talk about the film. Uh one of the things that. I kind of want to point out right away is um that the the ship in nostromo uh looks very much a like a realistic environment it looks like a lived-in environment they the 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 screenwriters and the producers say they they really wanted kind of to match the the aesthetic that star wars had where it not not everything was shiny and clean it was it looked like it was used and uh had been around for a while and they wanted to call it that they wanted to have the as- the aesthetic of uh summarized as truckers in space um which is essentially what they are they these guys are uh this crew is a it's a mining operation and their their whole uh thing is to bring back ore from some undetermined planet bring it back to earth so they they have all like some crazy amount of like two million tons of ore or something that they're hauling back to earth um and uh that's their job is there is to to be like a crew of this kind of what do you want to call it like a like a mining ship basically. like a mining ship, yeah, um and that's and that's why so and it looks like that it looks like a like a blue collar space crew that's kind of what I was looking for
1: and my whole thing and this is this is a me problem, like watching it with twenty first century eyes like you know this is supposedly like all these years into the future, and yet their computer systems are right out of the 70s. Like, I can't... <laughs> I do It's, like it's, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to kind of get into the moment now when seeing, like, those computers boot up, like the ones I used to have in,
0: you know, 1993 in school, you know? And it's even funnier when you look at, like, movies like Prometheus and um, Alien Covenant, which are... Prequels, but then you watch the movies, and then they have like more advanced technology. Exactly. <laughs> but whatever, <laughs> you know, it it, it works. I, I'm I I can like like I can let go of that without without too many issues. Yeah, movie good. I mean, I could too, but it's just it kind of just it's just striking now, especially watching it like with the last rewatch I just did. It's very striking how old those computers are now. <laughs> it does but do whatever. something it does do something that sci-fi movies do a lot, which I hate. And that is when people are staring at a computer screen, they, you see like the backwards image of the computer on their face. And if, if that were to actually happen, when you were looking at a computer screen, it would burn out your retinas. (laughs) 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 If they do it in the matrix too, and it bugs the crap out of me. Yeah. I know it's like a visual thing. And I know you're, you know, it's, it's style over, um, over fact, right? But it still bugs the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Um, so we start off the movie again, like I said, with the uh, uh, the ship kind of bringing in all this, all these twenty million tons of of, of mineral ore or whatever. And you you slowly, very slowly, get like this opening sequence of like a tour of the ship. Right. You know, you're just kind of looking at the ship from all these different angles, and then like it's kind of kind of waking up and then you see like all these pods with these in the, with the crew in it and the pods all kind of lift up and open and, and the, you know, all the crew members are in their underwear and they're starting to get up out of like a long sleep, which I find it interesting, I don't think they'd ever, that's that's a concept that had ever been done in like sci-fi movies anyway, of like the fact that if you're traveling through space, you're going to be in space for a long time. So the conceit of this film is that these people are put under like deep sleep to pass all like the months and months and that they're out there you know what i mean and i think that's a neat idea that um you know a lot of sci-fi movies don't really explore but this one does
1: yeah and i can't really think of any earlier sci-fi movie that that had a concept like this in you know today like every other one does but uh this was probably uh the first one that i can remember that that did it like the... well
0: i think 2001 did it cuz they had the other crew members like in hypersleep while the while dave and the other guy i can't remember his name were, were fussing around um but like oh, yeah, i feel I like right you're right you're right yeah that's that's true but this i think is like a movie that kind of popularized the idea i think because i feel like it became more popular to see that and it's because if you are in space and you got to travel like light years it's gonna take a long time you know
1: exactly so might as well just sleep through it
0: um, but yeah, I, I like this whole opening with uh, with the with the ship like turning on and, and everything kind of uh, kind of booting to life. The ship boots to life, the crew boots to life. It's a really good opening sequence.
1: And I gotta say also at, at this point here for first time watchers, just stay with it. Like I, I get like you know, why do I, I'm supposed to care about the ship? Why do I care about these? Just, just stay with the movie. This is all building up. You're getting to know the crew. Getting to know the ship ship is going to become a very important thing later on. How the ship is laid out. So, just stay with the movie at this point. That's what I tell everybody. Like, you know, everybody's getting bored. Like, no, just stay with the movie right now. It's there's a point to all this.
0: Um. So you get like a a sequence of them like you know the crew like eating their first meal like their breakfast or whatever before they start to kind of. You know, start their day or start their kind of journey home as they think they're going to be going on their journey home. Uh, What I love about the scene, and I put a Facebook post about it, is that I really most identify with Brett and Parker because these two dudes are just like, hey, are we getting our bonus? Because, you know, (laughs) we worked more than we were expected to. And, you know, I really want to talk about the bonus situation. And then later on, when they have to deal with a freaking alien in their ship that's killing everybody, like, those guys really deserved their bonus. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just saying. They didn't sign up for this. Uh, apropos
1: of nothing, we're actually recording this show on the eve of me receiving my bonus from the summer. So Nice. So there you go.
0: <laughs> did you talk to Very your boss about, about the that. bonus situation?
1: Yes, I did.
0: Let's <laughs> talk about the bonus situation. Um, it's around this point that Dallas, the captain, uh, goes to the ship's main computer to kind of see what's, you know, if there's any uh, any news or fr- from like the central command. Uh, and basically they get a, um, uh, and they call it mother. That is the name of the, of the ship's operating system is mother. Um, and they basically gets, um, a, a directive to go to a planet to investigate something. And right before you find this out, you see that Cartwright was the navigator. Um, say, or sorry, Lambert, Cartwright's actress, uh, say, we're not near Earth, we're, we're off course. And they're really confused as to why they're off course, which would be kind of a panicking kind of situation if you don't right. know where the hell you are out in space. Um, and then they get the, the message from Dallas that the, there is a, uh, uh, dist- a distress signal emanating from a planet that we later find out is LV-426 uh, um, in the Aliens movie. Uh, and they have to go go down and Mm -hmm. investigate it.
1: Yep. And, uh, of course, Parker and Brett, well, you know, that's not our job, like, to be investigating this stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Why are we going
0: down there? So, it it gets, these guys totally get it. Like, A, we, we want to talk about our bonus. You're not getting a bonus. B, okay, now we got to go down and do something we really weren't contracted to do, and we really want some extra money. And now, C, now there's an alien on board. Where's our money? I'm just saying. These guys have a point.
1: <laughs> they do. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, this is a this is where you kind of get the setup of the whole film. Uh, we're gonna get, and this is just building the tension. You know, building the tension and the story of the film. Like you said, it's it's very. Sl- I don't know if I'd call it slow, but I'd call it deliberate. You know, I'd call it right. like like it's if you watch the if you watch the sequel, Aliens. Aliens was very fast. Right. This, the, uh, uh, because it's James Cameron and James Cameron is basically just making it like an action film, but this movie takes its time it's like once they get to the stress signal it's like now you gotta see the ship leaving the l- l- now you' gotta see like the scout ship or whatever leaving the Nostromo. and then the, then the scout ship going down to the planet and then once it's down on the planet it like the, you get them off the off the ship and they're walking around so like it's very the whole thing is very like uh deliberate and showing every single step of the process.
1: But like I tell everybody, just stay with the movie because it's going to get good. Just, just wait.
0: <laughs> one thing I find kind of amusing. Um, so with the ship, uh, like a lot of sci-fi movies at times, certainly like uh, 2001 and Star Wars, uh, when you see like long shots of the ship, they were uh, models that they were, yes. that were expensive, very expensive-looking things. Um, but uh, one of the shots required the actors to be standing in front of the, the ship. And what I thought was funny is that Ridley Scott used two of his uh, children to sit to stand in like uh, in the astronaut suits to walk in front of the ship to make it look bigger that's than it
1: hilarious. Was. Oh, my god,
0: that's actually, mean, that's, it's hilarious and brilliant at the same time. Yeah, I, I find that really funny. <laughs> um, but, um, but. Yeah, so, so they're on this strange planet, looks very uninhabitable. Uh and left on the ship. So sorry, Kane, Dallas, and Lambert all go out to investigate. Right. While Ash, uh, Brett Parker and Ripley stay on the ship. Um, and this is an important detail that we'll talk about a little later. Yes. Um and uh so they go out to investigate the the distress signal and see what's going on. And this is where we get kind of our first view of like otherworldly things as they kind of come upon um what do they call them in the Prometheus movie? The engineers or something? The yes, yeah. So they they call the, this big giant uh, skeleton basically sitting in like some sort of like navigation chair, uh, and I, I believe that this is the first uh, instance of uh, extraterrestrial life that like these people would ever have encountered. So they <laughs> they they're. They see this guy, and they see like that his chest has been ripped open. So we get, uh, we're get we going to get a little bit more on that a little bit little later. A little
1: foreshadowing for there, yeah.
0: Um, so I want to talk about Prometheus a little bit. One of the things that always bothered me about that movie, and I, I'm, I actually don't hate it as much as everyone else does. I think Prometheus is actually pretty good. But one of the things that bothers me about that movie is that, it, it, that at the end of Prometheus, they're not on this planet which doesn't make any sense. They should be on this planet because it's perfectly set up to be on this planet. Yes. So why isn't exactly it? Right. <laughs> why isn't it on this planet? Like, why did they choose, like, why make another movie to like, like that? It felt like that whole movie was to explain everything that happened before this. And then they didn't do it.
1: And yeah. And then they had the sequel come along. That's actually called alien. But like, I mean, yeah, I'm in, in your boat too. Like I like Prometheus. Probably more than a lot of other people, but you know, yeah, there's there's little things here and there that are like, hmm, you could have done it this way, and then you wouldn't needed another movie. You could have just went right into Alien from this,
0: but whatever. Um, yeah, exactly. So these uh the three um the three crew members are kind of out in the, you know, they 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 go into the alien ship, they see what's what's happening there, and they're just kind of walking around, and kind of exploring. Um, they find, and Kane finds, uh, on what looks like, what looks to be an egg and a very, very kind of gross looking egg. And he's trying to like find out what the heck it is. Um, interesting side note about this, what I, is that this was shot in post-production. Um, this was an added scene, not an added scene, but I guess they, they, that's when they got the money to film the shot, the scene. Right. Um, they did it over a few days in post-production and, uh, what i find is interesting is that when kane is looking at the egg and it's kind of like translucent he sees something kind of moving around inside right uh that is just ridley scott's hand
1: oh, oh that's great
0: <laughs> just just making some movements um inside whenever he actually opens it and he sees all the gross stuff let me see what i i found uh what it was that was actually in there uh um, oh shoot I had it, I had it in here in my notes okay it was the innards were uh, the innards of a cow's stomach and tripe oh so there you go
1: yeah I don't think I needed to know that but great <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh I have information about the face hugger too um, uh, the face hugger's insides were let's see here uh, Scott for the face hugger. Uh, Scott used pieces of fish, shellfish, uh, fish and shellfish to create the viscera. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit more tolerable, I think. Um, but that's why it looks like something organic because it right. actually was something organic.
1: It mean, was, yeah.
0: Um, so as with most horror movies, someone smart does something stupid and messes with the egg and the facehugger jumps out of the egg and uh, attaches itself to um to Kane's helmet and then face and uh they have to take him back to the to the ship uh for medical attention now this is where when i watched the movie last year um it was especially uh ah. especially prevalent uh because Ripley basically says, well, you can't come in because you've been exposed to something. And protocol dictates you have to wait 24 hours before you come in. Uh, I can't let you on the ship because you could infect all of us. And that was just a little too on the nose. No. (laughs) And let's face it, if they had listened to Ripley, everything would have been fine. I mean, and there would have been no movie. That's right. Yeah, fair enough. I'm just, Kane would have died and probably Lambert and, uh, and, uh, Dallas, but the rest of them could have gotten away. Of course.
1: <laughs> and the ship would have survived.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The ship would have survived. Um, but, um, and like you said earlier, uh, Ripley says that whenever Lambert and Kane aren't on, or, and, sorry, Lambert, no, not Lambert, Kane and Dallas aren't on board. She's first in command. And, uh, Ash overrules her authority. Ash is the science officer and lets them in anyway.
1: Now, is it just me or is it after you watch the movie? So all subsequent viewings of Alien after the first one, the signs are there that Ash is up to something. The first time you watch it, you don't really see it. But then in subsequent times, everything he does, like it's there, like the signs are there that he's up to some, some some sneaky stuff
0: yeah he's totally sus like he's yeah uh, like you don't notice it the first time you're absolutely right you just because the thing is with this movie is and probably like when you want now when i watched it i knew sigourney weaver was a star right but when the she when this movie first came out she was not a star not most of the people in this class she weren't. didn't get top billing exactly and so you don't really know who the main character is going to be if you watch it for the first time you probably think it's dallas right right um but as the movie progresses, obviously it, it focuses more on Ripley, but, um, so you don't think of what Ash do what Ash is doing is really suspicious until you watch it the second time. And then you're like, Oh, I, I see. He's totally, he's totally suspicious.
1: Exactly. And then another, a quick, uh, plot uh, point as well, you know, while Ripley's on the ship, she's kind of deciphers the transmission from the, the alien ship and she determines it's a warning not a, a distress signal, and she tells Ash, and Ash goes, "Oh well, you know, by the time you get out there, it's not there's be no point. They'll be coming back anyway, so might as well just stay on the ship." And I'm already like, hey, "You traitor! I can't believe you!" It's like, I'm like, so I mean, it's there, man. Like that—that's a big That's a big red flag for me. And then like, there's others that are coming now. Well, as we go through the rest of the movie, but that's a big red flag. Just you know, Ripley's telling him. It's a warning. It's not a distress signal. I got to go tell them. Like, oh no, you don't have to tell them. They'll be fine.
0: Yeah. Um. So we come back and we see uh, that uh, uh, Ash and Dallas are trying to take the uh, the face hugger off of Kane. This is a really kind of gross scene because yes, it is. Um, not only because of the face hugger, but when they take the helmet off, like the sweat pouring off of Kane in that moment is just he's dripping in it and it's disgusting. Yeah. Um and as Kane tries to move one of the one of the like, I don't know what you call it, like claws or legs or whatever from the face hugger, um, it just clamps on down even tighter and the tail wraps around his neck even his more. neck. Yeah. Uh, so it makes it even more <laughs> more dangerous. So then they decide maybe they can cut it off and the thing starts spinning out acid. Um, and which burns through the hull, uh so now we find out the thing has acid blood, so great <laughs> um interesting so, feature, yeah, so one thing I, I uh what I wanna talk about here is the face hugger the only reason- not the only reason, but the the reason the face hugger was created was really just a plot device to get the alien on the ship, like that's the only reason it was created, like it wasn't like uh a uh, like, a part of the plan. Like, they're just like, well, oh, how do we get the alien on the ship? Or how do we get the egg on the ship? Oh, let's d- maybe attach itself to somebody and it gets in there. So it wasn't, like, part of this grand scheme all, all along. It was just this thing was like, well, we got to get the alien on the ship somehow. How do we do it?
1: Well, they came up with a pretty damn good way to do it. So
0: kudos to them. Um, And the, the Dan O'Bannon credits uh, Walter Hill, for the acid blood because uh, because it gives an extra element of tension because the creature won't be able to be killed by conventional ways like guns or anything because of the acid blood, which I thought was interesting.
1: Exactly. You kill the alien then you kill yourselves because you destroy the ship. So there you go. (laughs) That's pretty smart.
0: Um, So, yeah, so this whole thing is stuck to Kane's face and this is, I don't know. It's a pretty kind of harrowing sequence just to see like someone just laying there with this thing on its head. It's pretty, I almost find the face hugger a little bit worse than the actual alien itself.
1: Well, the face hugger and the chest burster
0: do it for me. Like the alien
1: itself is, you know, it's whatever, you know, but like it's the, uh, I, I don't know what, what the correct word or phrase is, but it's the getting to that point. Like you have the face hugger, which I already—it's already creepy enough as it is—and then we're gonna to get to the chest burster in a minute. But that I—I—I I, I just watched this again. You know, it's a rewatch for the show, and even I still wince at the chest burster scene. Like it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> even now, yeah. this is like my my fourth or fifth watch of this movie,
0: and it's still uncomfortable. So there is a—I want to talk about the the face hugger and the chest burster because they're uh in. Since its release, this movie has been, you know, I'm going to talk about it a little later, but the initially it was it had mixed reviews. And then over the years, it became more and more popular and more and more well, uh, well-received well to the point where people were analyzing it and, you know, having discussions about it in film classes and things like that. And one of the prevailing uh, analyses of this film is that the facehugger, the alien, and the chest bursting is all a... An uh, analogy or a, a metaphor for a male rape, uh, where a male, in other words, where a man would get raped. Because if you think about it, the face hugger is violating the man by, you know, shoving something into the man that he can't stop. And then the chest booster is supposed to be an analogy for a, what a man's view of what uh, giving birth is supposed to be. Like just something exploding out of your body, and uh, this is bare, this is a, apparently confirmed by Bannon at least the the rape part uh, later on uh, in like different interviews. I'm not sure if he actually if he said it first and then people analyzed it, or people analyzed it and then he said, "Yeah, that's right." And maybe and I wonder if it was one of those situations where like you know it didn't really start out that way, but he just took credit for it. You know, I just think some people have way too much time on their hands that's, but I that's could, my I, I, I could totally I get it I see the I see what they're going for right like it, it's it certainly is a a violation you know what I mean of, of someone. Well, I mean when you look at it that way then I guess <laughs> <laughs> because it, <laughs> it in, in most sense. monster like in most monster movies they just you know slash you up and kill you or eat you right right like this thing like implants something in you and I think right. that's kind of screwed up
1: yeah it makes it even more creepy
0: um so sometime later the uh the chest they they come into the the room the chest or the the facehugger is off of kane's body he's so he's still unconscious uh and then they find the chest person jumps off onto ridley and uh ripley not ridley oh that's gonna get confusing (laughs) to ripley um and uh you know they they basically perform an autopsy on it and this is where you see the uh the fish innards and the yes. and I think there's sheep intestine in there too or something like that. Ugh. It's pretty pretty disgusting uh sequence there. Yes, it is. Um trying to think about what happens next. I believe um they go back to the Nostromo, they take the ship back to the Nostromo. Uh, and we get another scene of Brett and Parker complaining about the bonus. About the bonus. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Kane has now woken up and uh uh seems to be doing just fine and this is where we get the infamous chestburster sequence um uh so what i like about this and i'm sure you read this too is that while the crew knew that something was going to be popping out of his chest they didn't know how or what was going to happen exactly especially the amount of blood that was going to happen that, that was going to spurt out right and the the crew have uh, the uh, actors have all verified this that the reaction captured on scene on screen is their legitimate shock at what is <laughs> happening to them because especially Veronica Cartwright who got blood spurted right onto her yeah, face
1: yes right that's a great moment
0: <laughs> um yeah this is uh, this is the one of probably I would have to say one of the most iconic horror movie sequences of all time. Wouldn't you say, I think this ranks right up there with the psycho shower scene. Um, you know, oh, I agree. Uh, I'm trying to think of, with, with, you know, the, the head spinning and the exorcist, you know, like this, I think this right up there with that, because it's, it's, you don't know when you, you don't know what's going to happen. And then when it bursts out of his chest, it just, just the look of shock on their faces is just amazing,
1: and and it's to like shoot reactions. That's what makes it even better. That's what that's that's the uh, that's the chef's kiss right there. That they're <laughs> legitimate reactions. That's not acting.
0: That's 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 great. Oh, the Veronica Cartwright thing. That's just so funny. Just to see her get all the blood splashed onto her face, as she's just freaking out. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I mean it, it is an iconic scene. It's been parodied to death now, even by John Hurt himself on Spaceballs.
0: So Yep. and that is so funny because I probably watched Spaceballs before I ever watched this movie, because I watched Spaceballs so often when I was a kid, right? And I didn't know that John Hurt was in Spaceballs too, um, because and it makes it even funnier because he goes, "Not again." <laughs> Awesome. i love that part oh it's so good um but it's even funnier because he does the hello my baby Hello, <laughs> um the one thing that does not hold up about this sequence is whenever it runs away uh because you can tell it's kind of just being pulled along like you yeah. don't see like uh you don't see like the strings i'm not saying strings but you don't see like how it's being done but it looks super fake when it like when it like runs off um But this is another sequence where you said Ash is definitely up to something because he's like, no, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Like, why Mm -hmm. not? Kill the fucking thing.
1: (laughs) You bastard. Exactly.
0: Um, Yeah. So that that is um, one of the coolest uh, sequences in in the film.
1: Yes, it is amazing. Still gives me the creeps and makes me uncomfortable to this day.
0: Um, so now we've got an alien running loose. And what I think is interesting is how it, the alien grows at kind of like an exponential rate. Like, so when it bursts out of John Hurt, it's like the size of what? Like maybe a football, like yeah. in length, you know? And it's not that much, much later whenever we get our first kill. Well, I guess the second kill after John Hurt. Uh, where Harry Dean Stanton is in like an like an engine room or something, and he sees that the he sees like some ski, like what looks like snakeskin on the ground, and he like lifts it up, and he's like, "What is this?" Or will we realize that it's shed its skin. Yeah. But by that point, when it finally kills uh, Harry Dean Stanton, um, it's enormous. It's like six foot ten, like I guess by like the guy's in the costume's height. So yeah. it's interesting yeah, that not that much time has passed, and it's already grown this big.
1: Yeah, and that's, I think, uh, makes it even more interesting, like, okay, this thing literally just came out of a guy's chest, and then, like, what, an hour later, it's, like, the size
0: of that that guy? (laughs) It's just, it's crazy. This thing is kind of interesting, though, because, like, when you watch the film, like, what is the point of the room he's in? He's, like, just sitting there with, like, dripping water on his face, there's, like, chains hanging around. Like, what is the point of this on a spaceship? Like, what does it do? Uh, (laughs)
1: And of course, like, watching this movie the first time, you think something's going to happen to Jonesy, the cat, but, like, and I'm just kind of bracing for, like, oh, my God, he's going to eat the cat, isn't he? And I'm just, like, waiting for it, and I'm just, thank God it doesn't happen. But it's, like, you watch, I guess I must have watched too much Cannibal Holocaust or those Italian movies where, like, you see an animal on film and you just kind of wince because you know some sadist is going to do something to it. So I see Jonesy walking around, there, like, oh, my God, the alien's going to eat the cat, but thank God it doesn't happen.
0: You know what though it the cat has a perfect cat reaction during the scene like as as uh parker is getting eaten or just killed by the alien the cat's just like looking at just non-reacting at all if it was a dog dog would be going nuts the cat just like whatever
1: perfect cat reaction
0: (laughs) um so what i like about that scene is that uh you get a look at the alien but you don't really like it's not you don't get a full view of it like you see like it's like when it comes like you see the side of its head but not super clearly right um and then it like you see that it's huge but you can't see its whole body and then you see a close-up of its face but not the rest of it so like it's giving you glimpses but not But not exactly the whole thing. It's almost like Jaws. I mean, it shows you more than Jaws did. Yeah, yeah, it shows you more than Jaws did. But it's it 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 does it gives you more without showing you more, right? Um, and it's it's really cool.
1: Yeah, I love that technique. It's it's that whole um, you know, it it, it's just give it's just teasing you with with the appearance to the point where like you kind of get like you know, let's show us the damn thing already. You get just like, what does it look like? And it just makes you gets even more invested.
0: Yeah, uh super cool. Um shortly thereafter, um you see Dallas is trying to well, first I think Dallas talks to Mother trying to find out should we kill this alien? And the mother is just saying does not compute or something like that. Um so he's trying to track it down in like the like the ventilation pipes or something. And as they're watching, uh they're watching like him on like the the monitor or something, and they're trying to tell him to get out, and then you get your next kind of glimpse of the alien as it Great jump scare as, like, he turns around and all of a sudden it's there in the dark and, like, jumps out at him. And you know that Dallas is gone. Um, Now, what's interesting about this is that, uh, again, when you're watching it for the first time, you're probably kind of shocked because it seems like Dallas is going to be the main character. Right. Uh, And then he's killed because he's the captain. So, like, you think he's going to be the main character and he's killed and he's killed off, like, halfway through the movie. But what's also interesting is that he was not supposed to die in the original script. In the original script he doesn't die in this point the original script at the very end of the movie when ripley's trying to get out she comes across his body like cocooned like you see that the cocoons in the um in aliens like when they right. like save like kind of cocoon them in like egg kind of things to like save them for later um and they cut that they actually apparently filmed that but they didn't but they felt it slowed the film down so they took it out Um, but yeah, he was supposed to not die there. He was supposed to be like saved for later.
1: Gotcha. Now, of course, with me, I, I watched the Simpsons before I watched any movie in my life, apparently. So, of course, (laughs) this, the episode where set is little helper gets loose in the school's vents and Willie's up there trying to track it down. That's ripped right from alien. And I didn't know that. And then when I finally watched alien and I saw that scene, I'm like, oh, my God, that's from the Simpsons. They they parody that scene like almost verbatim, or like they're tracking like the uh where Willie's in the van and the dog is like rushing across like really quick like the alien did, and then like you, they're tracking him on the monitor and you see the red dot getting closer and closer like oh my god this is from the Simpsons this this is great like I just started laughing at it I'm watching it in Alamo and I and I see this again and I'm I'm just dying because this is like straight from the Simpsons <laughs> but like I said I see the Simpsons before I've seen anything else. So, to me, The Simpsons invented everything. <laughs> that wasn't a, um, that wasn't a, uh, a Halloween? Trans- no. Horror. No, no, no. That's where, uh, that's the episode where Skinner gets fired because Bart takes the dog to school and the dog gets loose. And then S- the superintendent Chalmers fires. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you, I, I don't, I don't you, remember Oh, we got to see that one. If you remember,
0: you got to see that. That's a great episode. It's one of my favorite episodes. So, actually, I got a question for you. This, the, the shining parody they do where you know all work and no shining. play makes Homer something something, is that a Treehouse of Horror? Because I feel like it should be, and I don't feel like I saw it this year. Wait, wait, which one? This the shining episode? Like was that the shining a is a Treehouse of horror. horror? Yeah. Is it an early one? Yes, I think it's the third or the fourth. I must have accidentally skipped it then, because I was like thinking I should have watched it by now, but I haven't seen it come up. So I was like. Maybe it's, like, part of, like, another episode. Yeah, the, the,
1: the shinning is, it's that one, it's that one, that's the first story, then the second story is the time travel, and then I can't remember what the third story is.
0: Wait, what's the time travel? What's, what are they doing in the time travel? With
1: the toaster. Okay, remember? I definitely
0: must have, I must have skipped over it. Then oh, you that's. That's one of the best ones, man. All right, I'm going to have to go back and watch it. Cause I, cause you do. I,
1: I, was, I was like, I know, I,
0: I feel like it. Okay, it I
1: remember that. now. It's the So the, first, the A story is the shinning, then the B story is the, the the time travel, the toaster, and the third story is the nightmare cafeteria. Yeah, because the running gag it. in the whole episode is Wooly tries to save everybody, and he gets killed. And each of these three stories. All
0: right, yeah, I definitely didn't see it. All right, I'll have to go back and watch it. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> um so with Dallas and uh, Kane gone, Ripley is now the, the captain of the ship. Um, she goes to mother and tries to find out what exactly is going on, and she finds out that uh, that the science officer is supposed to it got orders ahead of time that there's that he's supposed to gather the alien specimen and bring it back, and the crew is expendable which, of course, infuriates Ripley. <laughs> and uh, this is where we find out a bit of inf- more information about Ash. As he does something that's kind of terrifying, uh, he attacks Ripley by shoving right. a magazine or, or a book in her mouth, like a rolled-up like manual or something, into her right. mouth so she can't breathe. And trying to choke and, her, yeah. And trying to choke her. And then that's when you realize this guy is stronger than he should be because she can't fight him off. And then uh, Parker comes in uh, and he and uh, Lambert can't get him off, and then finally he, basically, well, I think you see him like sweat something white before they do this, but um, Parker like busts his head open with like a with like a pole or something, and then his head comes flying off, and you just see white shit just spray everywhere, and you're like, what the? And then you realize, oh, he's a robot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was that the. First time what has a big reveal. And it's like and you just you're just thinking, okay, this is off the walls completely
0: now. Like what the hell is going on? <laughs> um, and that's whenever and he becomes like a true villain in the movie. Um, what I find interesting is the the innards of uh, Ash are made of milk, caviar, pasta, fiber optics, and urinary catheters. Oh God. <laughs> You should have just stopped and milk. <laughs> <laughs> and then um the <clears throat> they get try, try to get some information from Ash, uh they kinda of plug his head back in and he basically just says, Yeah, you're all gonna die. There's nothing you can do.
1: Yeah, like that the that evil like villain the, all he was missing was the evil villain laugh afterwards. Like, you're all gonna die. Ha <laughs> ha
0: he says, "I don't like your chances, but you have my sympathies." That's, a, I think, that's his. Uh, <laughs> what a what a that's his douche. line. <laughs> what a douche, bro. <laughs> it's funny though because, like, so when he's talking, like, uh, when he's talking to them with his head detached, uh, is basically done pretty simple effect by him, like, putting his head through a table and talking. Right. But then when they turn him off, it's clearly like this plastic like mold that they took of him, <laughs> and it looks super fake. <laughs> But you can't, you can't have it
1: all, I guess. Kind of like in Cannibal Ferox when they put a Giovanni Lombardo Radice underneath the uh, the thing and they they cut off his scalp and they eat his brains. You know, at the beginning, like it looks real enough, but then when they pull away from the dead body, oh no, that's just that's a dummy. Like, come on,
0: man, <laughs>
1: it looks so fake. But anyway, continue.
0: So now the the only survivors left are uh, Ripley, Parker, and uh, Lambert, and they decide that they are gonna um uh, they're gonna escape and they're gonna blow up the ship uh, as they escape in like an escape shuttle, um to make sure that they kill the alien, um and while they're trying to get all this done, uh and Ripley's roaming around the halls with the flamethrower like a badass, um yeah Parker and uh, is it Parker or Brett I think it's Parker, uh they. They meet an unfortunate end by the alien too.
1: Yeah.
0: One um, by one, they're getting knocked out. And uh, so Ripley, uh, after getting the cat <laughs> and um, uh, getting into the into the shuttle, uh, escapes, and the uh, Nostromo blows up, and it's the end of the movie. Let's get this started.
1: Well, or so we thought.
0: it's a good this is a really good i really like this fake out nice fake out yeah um the first time i saw it it totally faked me out because i was like i just assumed okay now we're just gonna get the the moment where she just like like kind of reflects on uh, everything that happened and we're gonna get credits you know and then uh then it starts to go on for a little longer and a little longer you're like okay what's happening (laughs) and then uh you see very expertly the alien blended into like the the background of the shuttle like you don't see him like he's very well camouflaged right. and then you see it start moving and coming out and then she realizes it's stuck with the alien uh in the shuttle and um it's a really cool sequence and she has to fight off the alien again um she opens like an airlock uh while she's like tethered just like something to keep her from getting sucked out and then suck the alien out into space. And then that is the how she finally defends
1: That's it. the real
0: ending. Um but that that's a it's a really good fake out because you really think it's just gonna it's just gonna end, you know? Because back then, um I think feel like we talked about this before. Sometimes like especially in like big blockbuster kind of movies, like whenever like the thing is defeated or, or it just ends. Like Jaws, they blow up yeah. the shark and then like a minute later it's it's over like Rocky, like the, the match results or the fight results are announced. He says, I love you. And then it's over. It like just ends. Like there's no other scene. (laughs) Um, and, uh, so like, you think it's just like the explosion happens. All right. She's going to get away and it's going to end, but it, but it doesn't. So there, it's a really good fake out. Um, to, for one final scene. And um, let me just say, uh, with the, if I could just be a disgusting man for a second, that uh, her little skimpy outfit that she has on at the very end there was very uh, instrumental when I was a young boy.
1: <laughs> all right yeah it certainly will... it certainly
0: helped with my well i I would, I would probably credit ghostbusters with my lifelong crush on sigourney weaver yeah. but this certainly added to it well it got you through puberty basically that's what you're saying um yeah i, I sigourney weaver is she's a queen um i also appreciate that the cat survives <laughs> go, i was gonna I'd go say sleep with her
1: because again first time you watch it like you're just
0: counting down the seconds
1: till the cat dies like you know they're gonna do this they're gonna kill the cat like you're just waiting for it at that point point. and then when it doesn't happen you're just like you let it aside really oh thank god the cat's
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so then then after that that's when the movie ends and um that's that's alien um is there any kind of uh, uh any kind of closing notes on the film itself before i get to some like post-production stuff
1: Um, you know, like, like you said, I really enjoyed the fake. out. like the first time you see it, like you get completely just, they catch you off guard. Like, oh, wait a minute. It's not dead. Son of a bitch, you know? And then, you know, you get that, that final sequence and everything's good. But again, like I didn't really appreciate like everything that this film was going for until like I got to see it, you know, with an audience in the theater. And it was actually the 4K restoration. I looked it up. They were doing special screenings of Alien, like nationwide. And it was the 4K uh Restoration of the film that I decided to go check out, and I mean, like I said, this is just like this and its sequel, Aliens, is like they're just masterpieces of of sci fi horror, and I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, like you said, Aliens is more action heavy, like right from the get go. Here, like here, it 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 takes its time, you know. It it has a purpose. It it, uh, it wants to uh, set the tone in the background, like early on before it uh. You know, it kind of gets you to the good stuff, the quote-unquote good stuff. But it's like, you know, there's that quote from Roger Ebert about, about the movie about how, like, like you know, it, it's it's very cerebral film, you know, and it it kind of engages you with the characters and it kind of engages you with their curiosity, you know, with the alien that unfortunately seals their fate. And he it, it kind of has a point when he talks about how, you know, some of the films that quote-unquote are inspired by alien you know they they studied the the big action sequences they study what he called the thrills but not so much the cerebral part of it so much the thinking of the movie the way it's paced and why you know so you get just kind of just sloppy like horror movies that are just like all action like you know our, our our mutual friend brandon dreamer would say all sizzling no steak right but uh you know, but the Alien is different. Like Alien, kind of just set the bar for those type of cerebral like horror movies. Like again, like you know, it it, it takes its time building, and when it gets there, it becomes like you know a cat and mouse game with the Alien, you know, uh, or as I called it, you know, a, a slasher film in space. Like the Alien's just knocking them out one by one, and you know, other films in the future would replicate this model, but not as effectively, I think, as as Alien did here. And this it truly was a pioneer.
0: Absolutely. Um, And it certainly I mean, I would say that both this and Star Wars, like two years earlier, certainly were responsible for kind of changing the game on on uh, on how how seriously sci fi should be treated, you know, in in the mainstream, Uh, because like we mentioned earlier, it's, you know, up until that point, a lot of sci fi was really cheesy, like Roger Corman kind of stuff. Um, and B movies, you know, bad special effects, you know, uh, and this was like, no, we're going to, we're going to make it serious. We're going to make it, um, yeah, we're going to scare you and we're going to take this seriously. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about its legacy. Um, like I said, it had mixed reviews upon its initial release, but over the years it became to be uh, regarded as one of the great science fiction films and horror films ever. Um, it was a huge box office hit it made 143 million dollars upon its initial release which translated to 2021 dollars is 548 million so massive hit um although because of this uh even though because this movie had uh had become had made so much money there was some i'm sure you've heard the term creative hollywood accounting um they said yeah. that uh, the the twentieth century fox claimed that it didn't make any it it lost two million dollars and it didn't make any profit, so the producers of the film were tried to sue to to get some of their money because they weren't getting any money in return and finally they uh they were they settled because twentieth century fox realized that they wanted to make an Alien 2, or as it became known as Aliens, and they couldn't really justify making a sequel if they were claiming that the movie didn't make any money. Ah. So, <laughs> so that's how they ended up getting their money. Um, and speaking what, of sequels,
1: sneaky suits.
0: Yeah, I know. Right. And it's kind of like how they, they they claim that back to the future to this day it has not made any money. It's like, come on, guys, the, the, those creative accounting practices are so uh, talking out your ass. they're so they're so lame. But speaking of sequels, the movie, uh, you know. It was a massive success. It launched uh, not only movies, it, it launched books, it launched comic books, it launched video games, toys. Um, the We got Aliens in 86, we got Alien 3 in 92, Alien Resurrection in 97, Alien vs. Predator, uh alien versus Predator requiem and then we went into the uh prometheus and alien covenant sequels i believe there's another one in the works because there are always any, there seems to always be another alien movie coming okay. um <laughs> uh as we had mentioned also got parried in Spaceballs and probably other movies so it had a profound you know effect on future sci-fi films as well um the Academy Awards, it was nominated for two Oscars uh, for Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects. It won Best Visual Effects. Uh, it beat out uh, 1941, The Black Hole, Moonraker, and Star Trek The Motion Picture. Ooh. Um, but it lost Best Art Direction to All That Jazz, which is interesting because I feel like – I've seen All That Jazz. All That Jazz is a great movie. Uh, fussy, fussy, fussy. <laughs> um it's a great movie but i don't see how it has better art direction than alien but who am i to say yeah <laughs> uh three saturn awards for best sci-fi film director and supporting actress for veronica cartwright interestingly enough uh who i think is like the the weak link of the acting <laughs> um Uh, Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. It was also selected for preservation in the United States Film Registry. And on AFI's list, I always like these, it was ranked number six in the 100 Greatest Thrills. Uh, Ripley was ranked the number eight hero in their 100 Heroes and Villains. And the Alien uh, was uh, ranked at number 14 in the 100 Villains. Um, And it was also ranked the number seven sci-fi film of all time by AFI um the top 10 were in, in, in from 10 to 1 were back to the future invasion of the body snatchers the original terminator 2 alien blade runner the day the earth stood still a clockwork orange et star wars and 2001 so it's in good company wait a minute clockwork orange is sci-fi yeah it's, it's sci-fi it takes I, place uh, in a in a dystopian in... future and it's uh uh you know with some scientific techniques to yeah it's sci-fi oh okay
1: okay okay well now that you say okay okay fine I accept but it's just (laughs) I I I heard a clockwork and I'm like wait a minute that's
0: sci-fi well I guess it is (laughs) but I mean it's in good company with those films so it is um yeah and then that's pretty much all all I'll have to say there unless there's anything else you want to talk about it's it's legacy
1: Oh, oh, just one quick thing because of course like you know me, I like to collect a lot of sleeves when it comes to my Blu-rays now. And if, I should not be surprised by this, but of course, our friends the Italians created an unauthorized Alien 2. Yes, I have heard of this. <laughs> uh, I have, it's
0: like Aliens on Earth or something like that, right? The Alien 2
1: on Earth, which of course... Yes. Remember, there's an unauthorized Italian Terminator 2 called Shocking Dark. But in, in Italy, it was released as Terminator 2. <laughs> In like 1970, uh, whatever. No, no, it was like 1981, 1982, it came out, but still way before ter- the official Terminator 2 Judgment Day. But I digress. <laughs> Gotta love those wacky Italians. Oh man, that's good stuff.
0: But anyway, yeah, that's, the, that's it from me. Um, so you can watch, uh, so I looked it up. You can find um, it's streaming on Fubo, which I've never heard of, uh, and DirecTV, apparently, and AMC Plus, if you have subscriptions to those. Otherwise, you can rent or buy them on most digital platforms. The cheapest options seem to be Apple TV, Amazon, and Vudu um so there you go obviously we would we as physical media buffs would always recommend you buy the physical medias uh, of the movie i think we both talked about that we both had the alien quadrilogy set on blu-ray um i would love to you know pick up the 4k at some point um i believe it's, it has a 4k restaurant yeah you just did that yeah yeah so I'll, I'll probably pick that up soon but um but you know the blu-ray looks really nice so you know it, it, look, it looks really nice and crisp on, on, on a nice tv so um and that's that'll do it for our halloween episode so uh, i hope you enjoyed it and before we go we gotta pick our next movie um so there should be two more movies in the rest of the year so we usually do a movie in november and then a christmas movie in december so uh we'll probably pick the christmas movie next time because but we'll just pick a regular movie for this next time so let's uh roll out the random movie generator and see what we've got Let's go Bye. Okay, picked well this is uh this is a great movie. um the random movie generator has picked what I think is one of the most perfect blockbuster films of all time nineteen ninety three Jurassic park
1: yes. Gives me a chance to dust off my steelbook and take that out.
0: Uh, So Jurassic Park will be our next movie. Um, But uh, until then, um, you can uh, find me. Uh, at Um, essentialfilmspodcast.com Also, you can email me at essentialfilmspodcast at gmail.com You can like the Essential Films on Facebook and follow at Essential Films on Twitter And if you're listening to this on whatever podcast platform you use, please like, rate, and review us, uh, and subscribe to us as well, so that you can always get the the show on time Um, And Mark, would you have any plugs that you want to show out to our people there?
1: Sure, you can... uh... Follow me on Twitter at SportsSky515. You'll see me just mostly retweeting a lot of things. I don't actually tweet for myself anymore because I'm just really not on Twitter all that much. But, you know, I go on randomly, see something, I retweet, call it a day. But uh, our other show, Force Perspective, is also on Twitter. If you want to follow them at FPMovie Podcast. Like I think I mentioned on the last episode, I recently just reactivated my AMC stubs. So I'm starting to now go back into the movies after over a year and a half of not being able to do that. So once I get some more new releases and I think it's time for us to kind of dust off the old force perspective and get back into that. Um, like I already mentioned, I think off the year two I already watched the Friends dispatch. I watched Halloween kills and uh, eternals is next week. So I'm probably going to catch that along with last night in Soho,
0: which I'm hearing really good things about.
1: So yeah,
0: I'm going to try uh, to get, the Halloween kills as well, and I I watched Dune, which I loved. Uh, oh, I
1: got I still got to see Dune. I'm definitely yeah. going to add that to the list. But uh, uh, I would I would say up.
0: I know it's on HBO Max. I would watch it in the theater. It's a movie that needs to be seen on a big screen.
1: And I might and you know I mean I listen I have the AMC A list thing that I just reactivated. It's going to be free anyway if I go. It's just a matter of actually
0: getting there. So I might just pick you up on that. Um, and you may have seen the news also that uh, it's been that Dune Part Two has been announced. So, I'm just going to go ahead and say that when you watch the film, um, have you ever seen the original, by the way? You
1: mean uh, David Lynch? Yeah. I
0: have The Arrow, but I haven't watched
1: it. Like, it's one of those, like, oh, I'm going to buy it just to have because it feels like it's something I should
0: own, but I haven't actually watched it. I've okay. seen the trailer, though, and it just looks wacky. It is wacky. And the thing is, is that, so I've read the book and I've watched the movie like a hundred times. So, if you watch the original David Lynch movie, it's not going to make a lot of sense because they're trying to cram this enormous book into like a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. And they have to like skip past a lot of plot or not even skip, but just like get through plot points really quickly. And, um, but I have seen that movie legit probably like 30 times in my life. And I've probably seen it like once a year for like the last 30 years, probably even longer than that. Uh, really? and, uh, yeah. No, cause it's, it was my dad's favorite movie. And he would watch it all the time. Wow! And uh, it was one of those. Th- it's it's one of those weird traditions. Like, uh, he would watch it around Christmas time, so I, I, I kind of associate it with Christmas. Um, so I'd watch it like once a year, and then I, I I first didn't like it, and then I kind of was just like, okay, I guess I see, and then I just started to love the movie, um, and then I read the <laughs> book. Um, but so um, then you must have the Arrow version. I do have the Arrow version. Uh, I have not watched the Arrow version yet, but I do have it. Um, I also have the, the Alan Smithy cut of the film as well, which is a steel book. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really kind of confusing movie. Uh, and it's super wacky. Like it's super wacky. Um, the, 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 the Denis Villeneuve movie is much more coherent and it's much more like epic in nature and it makes more sense if you pay attention. It's still pretty like the the subject matter is still pretty dense. so like you gotta really pay attention to what's happening or you might be a little confused. Um, but it makes more sense. and it's it's not nearly as wacky. But here's the thing is that it's two and a half hours, but about the same length as the original movie, but it's it ends about halfway through where the original movie is. So like, it's half the story is told and it kind of ends like Lord of the Ring, Ra- like the first Lord of the Rings movie. We're just like, wait, what's going to happen now? Um, yeah. So just be, beware aware that's going to happen, but they announced Dune part two. So you're going to get the other story, the rest of the story, but just know that it kind of ends kind of abruptly.
1: Well, I'm just glad, uh, Dune two is a definite because I think that's what Denny was worried about for a little while. Like, Oh, if this doesn't make any profit in the, uh, at the box office, they're not going to green light the second one. So what's I mean, the point? I'm,
0: I'm but, surprised uh, they didn't just do like Lord of the Rings style, and just shoot it all at once, you know, and then like separate them out like into two movies. I like figured that's, that's what, what he was
1: going to do, but I mean, I don't I don't know what his thinking is. But, you know, either way, at least, you know, good news, we are getting the chapter two or whatever they're going to call it. So,
0: yeah. Uh, so just, I just wanted to just warn you it. when you go in, it's get the movie's going to stop like right when like you think things are about to happen, it's going to stop and go, Okay, end the movie. You know what I mean. So, uh, it, 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 I think it's excellent. But again, I have a lot of history with the material, so right. it's it's I'm probably biased. But even even if you don't like the the the, the story that's being told, you're gonna appreciate the visuals, like the cinematography, right. the costuming, the visual effects, the 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 art direction. It is an amazing looking film. So. Um, just putting that out there. Uh, you got to watch it on the big screen.
1: I think I'm going to take you up on that.
0: Um, but anyway, uh, that's that's my uh, kind of last minute recommendation before we <laughs> kill off the show here. But uh, Jurassic Park is our next episode. Uh, anything else you want to say before you sign off?
1: I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, we're, we you're thinking about. See uh, oh, you now, I, I butchered the quote. I'm trying to do the Jeff Goldblum quote, like. You didn't start to think whether you should, but I forget how he said, how he starts that quote. Um,
0: you were so concerned with uh, whether or not you could. You, you could, start to think could you, you didn't. Yeah, exactly. I use that quote all it. the time whenever I like see something like weird in like a grocery store, like, like sometimes you see like weird Oreo flavors and you're like, why did they do this?
1: <laughs> yeah, they got the Lady Gaga thing and I'm like, um, okay,
0: good for right. you guys. Um, anyway. That'll be our episode. Uh, Thanks for listening. And um, this is Adolfo and Mark, last survivors of the Nostromo, signing off.